Today, of course, we're celebrating the, the great feast of the Ascension. And on one level, the meaning of the feast is pretty obvious to us. After 40 days following his resurrection, where the Lord made appearances to his disciples, he returns to the Father. He came from the Father, and he returns to the Father. We celebrate that. But on another level, things are a little more ambiguous. If we love the Lord, why would we celebrate his leaving us? It's not obvious. Why would we celebrate the Lord leaving us? Yet we know the church has always celebrated the ascension. Often in the liturgy, it's called his glorious ascension. So Lord, the church has always celebrated this. Why? And there are basically two reasons we'll talk about. One is that it gives us a special reason for hope. And second, the ascension where Jesus leaves us actually has brought him closer to us. So how, again, does the ascension give us a special reason for hope? And how does Jesus leaving us bring him closer to us? Well, where do we begin? One thing that strikes us, we know there are many differences between the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John's Gospel. But one of the things they bear, have in common is from the very beginning, the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, we talk about the apostles. The apostles are part and parcel throughout Jesus' ministry in all four Gospels. Well, why would that be? Because Jesus' story is their story. It's one story. The apostles are an extension. They're, they complement and extend Jesus' ministry. Remember, in Ephesians, Paul tells us that we are the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. So it's Jesus and the apostles together, the apostles, his church together, that form one story. After all, we see this clearly in the Acts of the Apostles. Remember back in John's Gospel, Jesus forever telling those who are criticizing him, saying, wait a second, I've never said anything I haven't heard the Father say. And I've not ever done anything I haven't seen the Father do. Well, the Acts of the Apostles tells us that's the story of the Apostles. They teach exactly what Jesus taught, and they do exactly what Jesus did. It all continues. It's not ended. It continues. That's the story of Acts of the Apostles. So looking at it from this way, the key events in the life of Jesus are also key events in the life of the church. And we can look at them. We learn something looking at from them from that perspective. For example, in the life of Jesus, we know Good Friday, Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. On Easter Sunday, he gloriously rises from the grave. But in the life of the church, Good Friday looks a little different. In the life of the church, remember John makes a great point of saying, I was there, the person here, I'm telling you the truth. These things happened. He said, I saw water and blood come out of Jesus' side when he was pierced. I saw this with my own eyes. Well, why would that be so important? It seems a minor detail. Because the church has always seen that as the water is the water of baptism and the blood of Eucharist. The heart of what the church is, the power of the church, comes from the cross. It comes from the very cross. The sacrifice of Jesus empowers baptism. It empowers the Eucharist. The church is born from Christ's side. 
And remember Adam, Eve is taken from Adam's side. And she becomes mother of all those who are born, all the living. Well, the church in the same way is taken from Christ's side. And she becomes the mother of all who are born again. So the church actually celebrates Good Friday as her birthday. The church is born on Good Friday. Well, what about Easter Sunday? On Easter Sunday, that evening, what happens? Remember the apostles, they're all locked in a room together. Jesus actually comes through the locked doors and appears to them, says, peace be with you. And it says, he breathed on them. Again, breath and spirit are the same word. He breathed them. It says, receive the Holy Spirit. Whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. Whose sins you retain, they are retained. Why is that so important? Remember earlier on, one of the miracles we have in the Gospels is a paraplegic is let down from the roof. Remember, people let him down from the roof. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And correctly, his enemies point out, they draw the wrong conclusions, but they're correct. Only God can forgive sins. Exactly right. So when Jesus breathes and says, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven, he empowers his church with his own power. He does this Christ's power working through his church. He empowers his church. Breathe them, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And later on next week, we'll see Pentecost. And there, Jesus sends the Holy Spirit on the church and empowers them for mission. Remember, they were locked up in a room hiding, and suddenly they're out speaking to the world. And a miracle we might miss that's really dear to everyone in ministry is we know the miracle of the languages, right? They spoke their language, but everyone heard in their own. It's always a special consolation to those in ministry. It tells them it's not what you're saying, it's what the Spirit is causing people to hear. You're saying one thing, but the Spirit speaks despite us. The Spirit is the one who converts. It's the Spirit who always does these things. That's the Holy Spirit. So the church has summarized this. It says basically the story of the church is she's born on Good Friday out of the pierced side of Jesus, the water and the blood. She takes her first breath on Easter Sunday, receive the Holy Spirit, and she lets out her first cry of life on Pentecost. That's the story of the church. Now, how does ascension fit into that story? Well, let's return to our two initial questions. What, is the, what does the ascension do to give us a special reason for hope? And second, how does the ascension bring us closer to Jesus? First, a special reason for hope. You know, sometimes I think we have the drill wrong. We think Jesus somehow, when he was with us in the flesh, was doing like an internship and he got better. Then he goes away, you know, somehow he becomes God again. And the truth of the gospel is Jesus is true God and true man, inseparable, distinct, but inseparable for all eternity. That's why Paul, in his letter to Timothy, uh, you know, tells us specifically there's one mediator between God and men, the man, Jesus Christ. So what this is telling us is that a human being just like us a regular body, a, a body resurrected, a human body, a human soul are now seated in the full glory of God. And what's true of Jesus will be true of us. That is our hope. This is why, for example, in Eastern icons, in 
In the resurrection, Jesus is always wearing gold, or, you know, the resurrection appearance. He's wearing gold and he's wearing white. And sometimes, even in the ascension icon, he's wearing white. But when he's in heaven, the famous Pantocrator, you see Jesus ruling on a throne, he's always wearing red and blue without fail. Never gold, never white. Why? Because it's to remind us that a human being, you know, divine and human, are now sitting at the right hand of God. It's the triumph of humanity. Humanity was frustrated of its purpose in sin. That frustration has been removed. Humanity has triumphed. And where, where he has gone, we will go. Remember in Romans, Paul tells us if we die a death like his, we'll also share a resurrection like his in Romans 6. And Jesus tells us at the last summer, supper, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I, wouldn't, I, I, I would have told you, that I, I would not have told you that I'd go to prepare a place for you. But I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come again and take you myself, that where I am you also may be. Jesus' story is our story. You know, I'll make a sort of banal, I can't help it, I'm an accountant, a banal analogy is, you know, I've been a road warrior for about 30 years. I've spent a lot of time on airplanes. And I'm always in the cheap seats. And when you're in the back of an airplane and you're wondering, you know, are we ever going to get off? You look out the window, and sometimes you, you see first classes moving out. And you realize, wait, if this is great, where, you know, they're, if they're moving, I will be there. I'm not there now. I'm not even moving, but I'll be there soon. And that's the story, frankly, of the ascension, that Christ has paved that way. Where he is, we will be, with that kind of certainty. This is what we talk about, the already but not yet. We've already begun. Christ's humanity is actually seated at the right hand of the Father. But how does the ascension actually bring us closer to Jesus? Well, Jesus tells us. At the Last Supper, he tells us, he said, I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He said, you're better off with the Holy Spirit than with me in this current form. Well, why in the world would that be the case? Why is the Holy Spirit so important, the Holy Spirit that at the ascension he goes to be able to send to us? Well, we saw in that, that passage we had from Ephesians today, if you look at the bulletin cover, we have that verse. It says, Jesus is the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Jesus is fully present. The fullness of his Godhead is present in his church. That's where we find him. That's where the, the Spirit is his life. We talk about this, the, the, this church being his body. What keeps a body alive is its breath. That's the Spirit. Spirit and breath are the same words in Hebrew and Greek. It's that breath. That's where we find him. The fullness of Christ, not just a partial taste, the fullness of Christ. The fullness of him who fills all in all. This is how we can say, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Even though we await for his coming in glory, which will come, even now he is still with us here. His fullness is with us, not some partial sight. His fullness is with us in his church. And how do we know that's not a metaphor, just a metaphor? Well, remember, in one of the wonderful uh, readings we have at Easter Vigil is the dry bones. And sometimes we forget the story that at first, there are really two episodes. At first, he calls the bones to come together, and they come together, and their sinews and thing goes on to them. But there's something missing. There's no life in them. Then he's told, prophesy to the breath, to the wind, to the spirit. They're all the same word. 
And he says, he's prophesied to the Spirit, and what happens? So I prophesied that he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived. It brought that body to life. This is why the church isn't a metaphor. The Holy Spirit makes it a reality. It truly is not like the body of Christ. It is the body of Christ. It's as real when we see the Spirit, when we see a person breathe, we see their chest move up and down, we know they have, they have their breath. That's where we see the breath of God is in his church, in his Holy Spirit. So the, by, the, by Christ going at the ascension, he sends that spirit that empowers his church. And the church always reminds us of this in the sacraments. The power comes always from Christ working through his spirit. It's never us. It's not like he left us here and left us with some things. It's always Christ on the spot working through his spirit. That's why at baptism we have the prayer over the water. It says, now sanctify this water, we pray you, by the power of your Holy Spirit. It reminds us that we can have baptisms, the baptism of John. Uh, Jews have baptisms, ritual baptisms. They're just getting wet unless the Holy Spirit empowers them. So it reminds us there's nothing about putting somebody in the water that washes away sins, but when Jesus, working through his Spirit in this church, brings the forgiveness of sins. We do the same thing at Holy Eucharist. You know, we remind, we could just be remembering Jesus, but how is it that Paul says we actually participate in his body and blood? Remember we say, sanctify these gifts by your Holy Spirit to be for your people the body and blood of your Son, and sanctify us also to worthily receive them. Without their Spirit, it's just memories. It's just a ritual. But Jesus, present with us, working through his Spirit, makes them a living, powerful reality. That's why ordination, we lay hands. For receipt of the gift, everything in ministry will come. The power comes from the Holy Spirit. And perhaps most important in some ways, we have the gifts given to all of us in the church. Paul talks about those gifts. One of the great joys is the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Every one of us has one. Remember, Paul says that to each. He doesn't say to most of them or even some. He says to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That Spirit, and again, people complain sometimes, I don't like my, my, my spiritual gift. Good, it's not for you. Is the idea is the spiritual gifts we have are for others, and the gifts we need they have. That's one of the ways God has joined us together, like male and female at creation. We each have what the others need to create new life. Those gifts are from the Holy Spirit. So all of the power of the church comes through the action of the Holy Spirit. It's not us. It's God working through his Spirit, the Spirit of Jesus. This is why Jesus came to send his Holy Spirit. But that's not all. Jesus tells us also that the, Holy, that the Holy Spirit empowers us in special ways. We all know this, saying, I don't even know how to pray. I wish I did at this time. I don't know. I don't know the right thing to ask for. I don't have the right feeling. I don't know how to pray. And that's what Paul tells us in Romans. He says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The Spirit does the heavy lifting. And what about being faithful to the Lord, being a witness like the martyrs? The martyr means witness. It's the Greek word for witness. How can we ever hope to be that witness? Jesus tells us. He says, when they deliver you over, don't be anxious how you're to speak or what you're to say or what you're to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. So Jesus in his ascension goes so he can send us the Spirit that empowers his church, the Spirit that empowers our lives as Christians. But one thing is even more beautiful. Paul tells us 
that the church as a whole is the body of Christ. It's the temple of the Holy Spirit, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. But he says what's true of the church is also true of every individual Christian. Each one of us individually as well is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Remember in the Old Testament where that cloud of God's actual presence would fill that temple and fill it with God, the power of God. That's our story. That's why we can honestly say, thanks to the ascension, we are closer to Jesus than the apostles. You say, they were as close as I am right now to Father Kevin, but he's there and I'm still here. Thanks to the Holy Spirit, we actually have the life breath of Jesus with us, among us in this church, and individually in us to draw on. It's the gift, it's our inheritance of our baptism. So why, in practical terms, would that be important to us? That's nice, but why is that important to us? Well, I think one of the most powerful promises of Scripture that's often quoted is, remember, we often feel weary, and in Matthew 11, Jesus knows that, and he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. But for many of us, I suspect, many of us, that's not really true. You know, sometimes we lie for God. He doesn't need anyone to lie for him. He's true. We don't feel this yoke is easy, and we don't feel this burden is light. Why? Well, let's describe our experience. For a lot of us, to be honest, sometimes at least, or maybe all the time, our faith is just our one more burden in a burdened life, one more thing to do, one more obligation. We try conscientiously to observe, but it's a burden, not a grace. For a lot of us, we feel that we're exhausted. We've given everything we have to give. There just isn't anything more. It's all gone. It's on empty. Some we feel exhausted. We feel discouraged. And, you know, we feel resentful of people who aren't going, putting up with all this with us. It comes across, we feel resentful. That's why Christians often have justly, sadly, the reputation of being killjoys. They talk about joy a lot, but they seem miserable. They seem burdened, and they don't seem like people with joy. So what's happened? How does the Holy Spirit, this gift we receive, change all of that? It's grace. The Holy Spirit, here's what we do. We try conscientiously. Honestly, we're trying to do the right thing in our own strength, with our best of our ability. We really, really try. But we forget a truth, a profound truth of the gospel, that because of our sin and disordered affections, no human being can possibly love God with all his heart, all his soul, all his mind, all his strength, and love his neighbor as himself. It's simply not possible. We can try really, really hard, but it cannot be done. And, you know, we sometimes, I think, like to look at the Christian walk, like when you're young, in good shape, training for a marathon. And if you do, you can be pretty certain if you train properly and, and faithfully, you may not win, but you'll make the 26 miles. And we try to think our life with God and loving God and loving neighbors like that. If we work hard enough at it, we will get to that point. No, folks, our walk with God isn't a training for a marathon. It's, trimming to, it's training to swim the Atlantic. No matter how hard we train, we're going to drown. It just matters how far out. There is no possibility we could do this. So two possible results. Failure is inevitable. So two po possible results. One is we give up. 
We honestly try hard and we just feel overburdened and give up. The other thing is we lie to ourselves, which is more poisonous. We lie to ourselves that maybe this is what love looks like. Maybe acting like I love my neighbor as myself is the same as loving my neighbor as myself. Well, it's certainly better than acting like you hate your neighbor. But Jesus didn't say, act like you loved your neighbor, as you love your neighbor. He said, love your neighbor. So it looks like the real thing, but it's not. It's like stage scenery. It's not real. And I guarantee you what will happen is we, as the harder we try, the more resentful we'll get, the less loving we'll become. We will resent the fact that it's not easy. So that seems like a lot of bad news, so where's the good news? Well, the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why we celebrate the ascension, that Jesus went to give us that Holy Spirit. And it's given to us in baptism. Remember the promise, another thing that's so important that we have in Ezekiel. Remember the Easter vigil, one of the passages we read is it talks about, I will sprinkle clean water on you. The church has always seen that as a, as a prophecy of our baptism. And what will happen? I love this. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. It's God. It's like it says, God is at work in you both to will and to work. It's not a matter of trying hard. God will give us the grace. God does it in us. It's not our effort. And suddenly, when we realize that, instead of scarcity, we have abundance. Jesus describes it in John 7 about this presence of the Holy Spirit. He says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, he said this about the Spirit that uh, those who believed him were to receive. About the Spirit, those who received him would, would receive. This is what Jesus said, rivers, instead of scarcity of dryness, rivers of living water. Now, you might say, well, how do I access that? That'd be nice, because we're promised we receive that Holy Spirit in our baptism. Well, Jesus tells us that the Holy Spirit, that power, we're not talking about special gifts, that power that every Christian has is available for asking. In Luke 11, it says, Everyone who asks receives. Notice it doesn't say a whole lot of people, some people, some lucky. He says, everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks it will be opened. And he says, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I bet a lot of us never noticed the words Holy Spirit there. How much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those? Why does he say Holy Spirit? Nothing else is worth asking for. In comparison to the Holy Spirit, nothing else matters. We want God himself, which is his Spirit. Everything else comes. Holy is the only thing that would make any difference. And he says, everyone who asks will receive. Always available to us. And this is incredible because we always know, thanks to the Holy Spirit, we will always have the grace we need in the moment to do God's will. A key truth to me that's central, you know, I, I keep thinking about in my life, is the truth that, you know, we always try to solve our lives. We try to have closure to get everything work together. God doesn't work that way. It's like manna, you can't stock up enough for 40 years. You have to go out every day and get it. Grace comes in the moment. The one prayer God will always answer that's a word for hope is at this moment, not even 10 minutes from now, not tomorrow, today, right now, what would you have me do and give me the strength to do it? That prayer is always answered because God never asks 
something he hasn't given to us. He never asks what he hasn't first given to us or will give to us, ever. That's a reason for hope. That's what perfect peace looks like. Saying, could I do this? No, but with God's grace, with his Holy Spirit, I know when that moment comes, it will be there. The grace will be there, the Holy Spirit. That's the witness, the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. So then why do we celebrate the Lord's ascension? We said again, the salvation, our full humanity, body and soul are now with God. And we also say Jesus, through his Holy Spirit, is now present to us in all the fullness of his power in his body, the church. Jesus is doing. Jesus baptizes. Jesus celebrates the youth. Jesus is here and powerful and working in us in his Holy Spirit. He's also made us each, both corporately and individually, temples of his presence, the presence of God himself. Jesus said that there are rivers of living water would flow from the hearts of all who believe in him. Now, we might say, maybe in my life, you're saying, those rivers of living water look pretty dry. That's, uh, you know, it's, it's, they're pretty low right now, or maybe the, the riverbed is dry. What do we do in that case? What do we do? Say, I've heard of those rivers, but that's not me. I don't have those rivers now. I don't have even much water to show at all. Well, I think the answer is always hold God to his promises because God can be trusted. So let us pray this day for the mighty waters of the Holy Spirit that we received, every one of us in our baptism, to flow forth with abundant life and profound joy. Joy is the hallmark of the Christian faith. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen.